very short this evening, and you've just sung a paraphrase of it, but uh, Matthew chapter 6, looking at the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 13, although we're really only looking at part of verse 10 this evening. Matthew 6, we'll read 9 through 13. The word of our God, our Lord taught his disciples. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do thank you for this, your word. We pray that we would think deeply about our own prayer lives this evening. Um, And no matter how strong our prayer lives are, we pray that you would enrich them even further this week as we think about your kingdom and what you have taught us to pray uh, through your Son. And so, Father, we pray that you would um, be with the one who preaches and be with those who listen and strengthen us and disciple us, Father, from this, your word. And, Lord, we pray uh, also that distractions and uh, all else would not keep us from hearing Christ this evening, for we pray it in his name. Amen. want to look this evening at your kingdom come. Last, last time, two weeks ago, we looked at our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And now we move on to the, the next petition, uh, your kingdom come. If we're praying for the kingdom to come, what kingdom will it replace? Uh, we, we know that when John the Baptist came, he came preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has arrived and Christ follows John up and in essence says uh, the kingdom is here in the Gospels. So there's an aspect to which Christ has already brought his kingdom, started the church and established his kingdom on earth, but we also know it hasn't come in its fullest sense. We still live in a world where uh, we are hated for Christ's sake, where righteousness is not the, the, always the law of the land, let, let alone how people live. Um, and so the kingdom of Christ is not here in its fullest sense that we wait for. So when we pray, your kingdom come, what kingdom will it replace? We, we read in the Shorter Catechism a few minutes ago, its summary of what the New Testament says about that, that the kingdom of Satan might be destroyed. Well, that's an interesting way to phrase it, because the kingdom of Satan in Scripture, in the New Testament, is often used in parallel with the idea of just this world. This world and all of its social structures and all of its kingdoms uh, are referred to as the kingdom of Satan. Even, even realms and places where rulers might be believers, 
or where some uh, good moral things might be upheld. Nonetheless, in the New Testament, we see that all of these uh, are the part of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Satan. Anywhere in the universe that, the, that is, there is contrary living and contrary ruling to what God has said in his word, his will and his reign. And Satan leads the rebellion against God. So, so that's why we can refer to it as Satan's kingdom, even though he actually has no right to be over anything. And yet we can refer to it as his kingdom because it is Satan who leads the rebellion against Christ. He began the rebellion in heaven uh, before, uh, before the Garden of Eden even happened. And he continues to lead angel, uh, the angels he led astray and humans in uh, rebellion against God to this day. Each who rejects Christ and his gospel and sin is personally responsible for following the rebel king, though. And so each uh, cannot say, well, I'm just in the territory of Satan <laughs> because we are rebelling with Satan when we sin. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that that kingdom, the realm of sin, the rule of sin, all that is in uh, uh, antagonism to Christ, all that is in rebellion against his law would be overthrown. And Christ wants us to pray that way. Now, we have to be careful how we pray that way because it's the same Christ who says we're supposed to pray for our enemies. So we have to be careful how we pray for the kingdom of Satan to be overthrown. But nonetheless, we are to pray for that. On the last day, when Christ returns, the kingdom of Satan and this world and all of its willing subjects will be overthrown. And you can read about that uh, among a, a number of places in Second Thessalonians 1, but we'll come back to Second Thessalonians 1 in a few minutes. The kingdom of Satan must be overthrown for his kingdom to come, the kingdom of grace. Is Christ simply saying, though, here, someday when Jesus returns, the kingdom of Satan will be overthrown, so pray that someday Jesus will return, your kingdom come. I... I don't think we can say that from the New Testament at all. Christ is pray, telling us to pray for something that we're also supposed to pursue ourselves, and that is the advancement of the kingdom now. As the kingdom is, uh, is the gospel is proclaimed throughout the world, the kingdom of grace is advanced today. As evangelism goes forth, local evangelism, uh, through world missions, the kingdom is advanced on earth through the witness of our lives, uh, whether we're doing just acts of love and mercy in Jesus' name or whether it's the action of worship. All of these are testimonies to and uh, a demonstration of the advance of the, of the kingdom of grace. So we should pray for the kingdom to come. I'm just going to bullet point a number of ways really this evening that uh, we ought to be praying under this heading. Remembering that these, these are each in one sense headings, right? Your kingdom come is, is a whole category of ways we're supposed to be praying to God. 
and things we're supposed to be praying about. So just bullet pointing some of these. We should pray for the kingdom to come by praying for missionaries. We can think of some of our church's uh, missionaries, um, and because of live stream, I, I feel always more hampered than I could be otherwise sometimes to say specific names. But we, we have at least one set of missionaries as a church who uh, live in a place where there's not really an established church. So here they are, uh, in essence, living churchless, other than they are the church there because they are more than two or three gathered in Christ's name on Sundays, worshiping him and serving him throughout the week. And so they are the church in this region. And um, and their life there is in the furtherance and with the goal of advancing the gospel and the kingdom of God. And insofar as we pray over time, it will stop being just them and it will be more and more people coming to them to worship with them, local people uh, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, that will be a very tangible sign as it happens of the kingdom of grace advancing. So we ought to pray for that very fervently. What a, what a sad thing if um, we didn't really take praying for that seriously. And after 30-something years of, of uh, supporting a family living in a part of the world, uh, th that came to an end with no visible, tangible difference in terms of church in that region. Now, that might be God's will, and they would still be faithful missionaries despite that. He, his, his will we don't always understand. But we ought to be very powerfully, uh, uh, passionately praying that that won't be the case, that we'll be able to start hearing even fake names given for the sake of safety of people who are coming to join them as the church in that region. We ought to be praying for world missions very specifically as part of praying your kingdom come. And we ought to go beyond that, though, and pray for the churches that are international churches, meaning uh, churches in every land. We can be very self-centric, maybe just praying for our church, or very America-centric, just praying for... Uh, churches in our country, but we ought to be international prayers. We ought to be praying for the kingdom to advance in every land and every tongue and in every place where the gospel is preached. Um, one of the things I struggle with sometimes in praying on Sunday mornings for the, the worship of God's people around the world is that we're actually kind of towards the end of morning worship in terms of a global prayer so, you know, I, I pray for every place where people are worshiping God right now, but most countries have already experienced their Sunday morning before I even get up to pray for that. Um, but we should be praying for that. We maybe should make an effort on Saturdays then to be praying for the church around the world. Then you would be praying for people who are getting up to go to church. And uh, this could be a really good thing for us if we prayed Saturday nights for the church and the gospel to go forth from churches as God's people worship. What an amazing thing, the kingdom of grace advancing in every land and every tongue. 
And then um, we ought to be very specifically praying in terms of our own opportunities and conversations. Some Christians seem to never walk out of the door of their house without finding someone to share the gospel with. Sometimes those people uh, are exceedingly gifted with evangelism. Other Christians, it feels like maybe years go by between someone asking us to share the reason why we believe the gospel with them Uh, And could that be because we're not really looking for opportunities? Could it also be because we're not asking God for opportunities to witness? So your kingdom come includes that we ought to be saying, and Lord, your kingdom come here, give me opportunities to advance that, to be your messenger, your ambassador. Uh, Paul talks about being an ambassador for Christ to the world, uh, in the midst of a dark world that doesn't love Christ, we are ambassadors. So God, give me opportunities and then give me the gracious words to speak that would advance your kingdom, not that would boost my ego and make me feel good about my abilities, not words that would uh, just make other people feel bad about themselves. No, purposeful words that would advance the kingdom of God in uh, this life. I'll I'll come back to our own opportunities in a moment, but uh, praying for the kingdom to advance also means praying for faithful gospel preachers. That's something Paul actually asks people to pray for at the end of Colossians. He says, uh, since we have this ministry, which is life and death, uh, pray for us that we might faithfully share the gospel. Christ, uh, walking along with his disciples, looks out and says, the harvest is plentiful, but there are so few people to go out and harvest that field. And so we ought to be praying for that. The kingdom to advance, God give preachers who can advance that. And, and for worship with powerful preaching. And we ought to be praying for that as well. That's not the only thing in worship, but it's such an important part of worship if we're going to be worshiping uh, in a a very uh, intentional uh, manner. Uh, We want all of our worship to be an advancement of the kingdom of grace and in the preaching of the word. God gives us direction for that. And then also praying for others in the church as well, right? For, For elders who can disciple and shepherd the flock. Uh, If the kingdom's going to advance, it's going to require kingdom citizens who go out in their lives and live in a mature manner before the world, and discipleship is given in the local church to facilitate that. Uh, We uh, seek to do that in a variety of ways, Sunday school and prayer meetings and one-on-one, but we need to be praying for people who can do this task. Not, Not just elders can do that task, Mature Christians who will be willing to give their time to younger Christians or less mature Christians. Um, But we need to be praying for these things in our churches. Remember that in Ephesians 2, Paul says that Christ gives his church preachers, teachers, evangelists. Why? So that they might do the ministry for the church. 
he, he actually doesn't say that, although sometimes pastors think that's what he's saying. But what he says is, so that these officers, these teachers that God gives might equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that the whole church, every member, every man, woman, and child who professes Christ might be equipped to go out and be the servant of God advancing the kingdom in this world. Or, or even praying for things like those who are such good servants in the church, like, like deacons, that the deacon might uh, inspire mercy within the rest of the congregation and lead the congregation in acts of, of mercy. All of these are ways to be praying for the advancement of the kingdom of God now, today. It also means praying that, that we will be guarded in the church from false teachers or abusive leaders. Because the, the church, the church which is the kingdom of God on earth, is not immune to wolves in sheep's clothing. It's not immune to leaders who abuse power for their own gain and for the harm of others. And we ought to be praying, if we're praying, your kingdom come, we ought to be praying that God would expose abusive leaders, false teachers, so that their works might be exposed, they might be removed from their position, and that the church might be purged of that kind of influence so that we might serve God without being led astray into different things or so that sheep might not be abused and so associate the gospel with something perverse and horrible that has been done to them and so walk astray. So we ought to be praying very, uh, very attentively that God would guard the church, not just our congregation, although we should be praying for that here, but for other congregations in the region, right? We want to be praying for other churches. We, we don't want to be the last faithful church in all of Franklin County, we want to be one of many faithful churches with faithful preaching, with faithful members. We, we want a lot of churches. We don't want to just grow ourselves and see other churches shut down so that we get their members. No, we, we want to see Christ's church advance uh, and be a part of that. And so we need to be praying this way. And it also means if we're praying that the kingdom would come now, then we also should be praying in as far as we have civil uh, religious liberties in this country, we ought to be praying that those are upheld and defended on a political level. And so when Paul tells us to pray for our politicians, uh, and remember he was writing about some really wicked men, perverted men, uh, Christian killing men, and he tells us to pray for them because they are the sword uh, to uphold the law uh, on in this world. Uh, one of the things we're to be praying for in obeying that command is be praying that whatever liberties we have and rights as citizens we have, and we have so many in this country, that generations of Christians would have wept to have obtained what we have. And maybe we weep because we feel like it's going the other direction. So are we praying 
fervently about that? Are we praying that our religious liberties would be upheld so that we can worship God here, not, not be afraid to, uh, to advertise times or to have people come through these doors because, because we have these uh, safeties, these religious liberties. So your kingdom come. We ought to be praying for our religious liberties to be upheld. And then all of these have been very general categories, haven't they? But we ought to be praying your kingdom come intimately in at least two ways. Intimately getting back to what I was saying before about praying that we would have opportunities for conversations and for witness and living it out. Well, that's a general statement. But the intimate version of that would be praying for these specific people that are in your life, right? That family member who has walked away from the gospel, that neighbor who denies any God exists, that coworker who uh, practices whatever wicked things publicly and joyously and wants you to approve them, that uh, fellow student at school that uh, friend from college, right? We, we ought to be praying the kingdom would advance in them. Not just in this world, but in particular hearts. We ought to be praying for our enemies. That the kingdom would advance not, not uh, only on the day of judgment when all who have rejected Christ are punished before the throne of Christ. But now we ought to be praying for our enemies. God, may they no longer be your enemy. May they not uh, be judged on the last day according to their own works. Conform them to Christ. May they trust in Christ, repent of their sins. May this enemy of mine become my friend. I think one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard is uh, one about two men uh, partaking of communion together. I know I've shared it before, but somewhere somewhere in a part of the world where cannibalism is, uh, has been a a major part of, of uh, history and life and culture. There was once two men sitting together at in worship next to each other, partaking of communion. And there was a missionary there worshiping with them. And both men were breaking down, weeping as they took the communion elements and partook. And afterwards, the, the missionary was asking one of them about this, this uh, clearly very emotional thing going on in terms of these two men. And the one said, yes, this man killed and ate my parents. And Christ died for him. Once all I wanted was to do the same to him. And Christ died for me. These men were able to partake of communion, though they had been the most (laughs) grotesque of enemies. Now they were brothers sitting at a table, not longing for each other's downfall, but celebrating the grace of Christ. That's the kingdom advancing 
in your enemy's heart. And it's the gospel advancing in your own. I suspect even at conversion, it was still hard, possibly, for that man to sit next to the other and take communion. Probably it, it, it might have taken a little while to get to that point. And that, that's the other aspect of intimately praying your kingdom come, is we need to pray your kingdom come in me, in my heart. I was reflecting this last week that the first prayer anyone prays when they are a, when they are converted is a thy kingdom come prayer. When we when we confess our sins and ask for the mercy of God in Christ, we are in essence praying become the king of my heart. May your kingdom take up its ground, territory in me. Ezekiel 36, what was stony, hard, rock hard, uh, rebellious territory. The Holy Spirit makes good tilled farmland. And so when we're converted, the first thing we're praying in essence is reclaim this territory. Reclaim this territory. But it doesn't stop with our conversion, does it? Because even though we are brought into the kingdom in our uh, conversion, we still rebel. We still commit sin. We still are not the righteous, pure, holy people in action that we, we long to be as believers. And so every day we need to be praying, may your kingdom come in my life more. Retake more territory today. May your spirit press out those regions of my heart, which I have tried to keep you at bay. Those areas where I've tried to hide my secret special sins, my loved sins, my selfish thoughts. May your spirit, by your grace, press the kingdom further in my heart and press out the enemy from those corners that I try to keep just to myself. We should be praying for continued growth and holiness. That is a your kingdom come prayer. Your kingdom come today in my heart. Your kingdom come today in my enemy's heart. Your kingdom come today in my, in my cousin or my sibling or my parent's heart, my neighbor's heart, my child's heart. These are your kingdom come prayers. And we ought to be so intimate about those prayers because the one who is king of this kingdom knows every square inch of his territory intimately. And he knows the hairs on each one of our heads by number. He knows the sparrows and not a... a, a, a a petal falls off of a flower in a field in the windy day, then he knows about it. So who better to pray intimately to about your kingdom coming than the one who knows what his kingdom is and can absolutely bring it perfectly. So we ought to be praying very uh, personally and intimately, your kingdom come.
And we pray that knowing that one day it will come in glory. That's the other thing we confessed when we read the shorter catechism there, that the kingdom of glory might be hastened. As we look around, not only at our own hearts, but about the world around us, and we we say, oh, but I just want to see so much more of the kingdom, and it doesn't feel like it's advancing the way I wish it did. Then our hearts cry out, as the Apostle John's cried out, that come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Bring the absolute, the full, the glorious kingdom where only righteousness dwells. Where every tear is, tears aren't even allowed in the kingdom. And we wouldn't want them anyway. What, a, what an amazing kingdom. We long for that day. As we pray uh, for his kingdom to come in its absolute glorious final state. We are praying for that day when Christ will come and punish his enemies, but also that on that day he will reward his people. And so let me read in closing here a few verses from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, which speaks to both of these things, both the kingdom coming in punishment for the wicked who reject Christ and what that means for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. First, uh, Second Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 5. Really, verse 4. Persecutions and tribulations that you as Christians endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. And there's a lot in there, but I think it's important as we pray for his kingdom to come for us to notice that it is a righteous thing for we who are citizens of his kingdom and who suffer for his sake to know that it is a righteous thing with God that he will punish those who torment you for being kingdom citizens. But here's the catch. When is he going to do that? Is it going to be now? Paul says, no. He says, it's a righteous thing with God to, uh, to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So we pray your kingdom come now. We pray that our enemies would be converted now. We pray for 
the Lord to come quickly because it's exhausting being persecuted for righteousness sake and because we long for his appearing and we need to realize that the rest we get as citizens and the punishment of our enemies is not for today. It is a thing for when he returns. So we pray your kingdom come in part because we're weary and we want it to end. And we want, we want to see him and in the presence of the king have rest and vindication for all that we have endured. And so we pray with John in Revelation 22 and with the Holy Spirit himself in Revelation 22. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. That is a thy...